Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the All of You Whole podcast, hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Go ahead and hit that pause button and then the plus button to subscribe to this show so you get more impactful content each and every week. We would also love it if you would leave a five-star rating and review. This helps people you and I don't even know find the show. And lastly, please share an episode you love with whoever you can. Sharing is caring, and that's how we continue to grow. And as always, I am forever grateful for your support. Today on the show, we are chatting with my acquisitions editor at Tyndale, Kara Leonino. Kara is so amazing, and I'm so excited that we're going to get to talk to her today because I think a lot of you who have been listening to this publishing series are interested in getting a traditional publishing deal. But a lot of times it feels really confusing understanding how to make that dream a reality. Well, Kara is going to show all the behind the scenes details to us and answer a lot of your personal questions. So without further ado, let's chat with Kara. Welcome to the show, Kara. I'm so excited to hang out with you for a little bit today. Thank you for having me, Caroline. I'm so excited yes. to be here. Yay. So first, can you tell us a little bit about you? I can, but do you want to know about me professionally, personally? Yeah, girl, all the things. Okay. Let's start with personal and then you can tell us professional. Oh, well, my name is Kara. <laughs> I live, I just relocated to the South and I'm acclimating to the Southern weather. I'm a Midwestern girl, grew up there, but I'll have to say I'm I'm not that sad that it doesn't snow for nine months out of the year. Yeah. As you, that's well, nice. Sure. As I know, as I know. Yes. I like to read as if that's probably a surprise yeah. for you. I, I don't know. I am oddly good at cross-stitching, which you wouldn't think when you meet me as an extrovert that I would have the patience to sit and like work on a pattern. Sure. But I, wow. I am impressed. I love that. I have two, I have a niece and a nephew who are like awesome, my favorites, and they're so much fun. They're really fun ages right now. So yeah, I would say that's about me. I love dessert. I won't run unless yeah. I'm being chased and <laughs> I can read a map. That's, you know, that's, that's mean. a skill. That's <laughs> right, a skill like that not, <laughs> that it really is a skill. Right. I mean, I feel like we, yeah, we don't, we don't really like develop that skill anymore. So that's a good skill. Okay, cool. And then tell us about you as an acquisitions editor. Oh, absolutely. So I have been working in acquisitions with books for about, 12 years now. And what does that mean to be in acquisitions? I get that all the time. Yeah. I really, I work on the nonfiction team at Tyndale. And so that means I help acquire, bring in projects to publish. So yeah. basically I always like to describe, I wish I had, you know how that there's that fun animated, how a bill becomes a law. I, I swear it would be amazing. Yes. If that how does like an idea become a book, you know? Yes. And, and so I'm kind of integral to that specific process, helping authors figure out what they want to write, what they feel right. God is telling them and how mm-hmm. do we make that actually into a book that people would potentially want to read and sh- buy with cash. Yeah. With cash or card. Yes. I love that so much. Okay. So today we're going to talk all about the publishing process, but I'm really excited about this conversation because we have talked to Keely, my editor. We're talking to someone who hybrid published. And so it's going to be fun to talk about the traditional publishing world. 
I think talking from like a traditional publishing standpoint is going to be so helpful because I think a lot of people, when they think about publishing a book, this is like the gold standard. This is what they want, right? And so I have talked to a lot of perspective authors who can get kind of frustrated with like how the process is set up, right? Like you have to have a literary agent who is essentially the gatekeeper of the publishing world. So can you tell us why is it set up like that in the first place? Yeah. So I would say it's publishing is an industry that does require a little handholding as you navigate it for the first time. Maybe once yeah. you've been, once you become a seasoned author and you're in it for a while, you can figure out what you want that process to kind of look like and how you want that to go. But it's just, I always say that publishing is kind of like a marathon. It's not a sprint um, yeah. a little bit. And so it takes so many opinions and perspectives to help figure out what kind of a book we want to publish, where does it fit in our strategy, and right. when do we want to release. And it's helpful when you're new to the process to have somebody that's been there, part of it. That's where agents kind of come in. There's multiple ways to publish traditionally. You don't have to have an agent, but having one that has experience and expertise, especially in the market, the kind of publishing house that you want to go to, that you would love. Right. Like knowing they have those relationships definitely makes it easier for you to get a foot in the door, but it really yes. does help you as you're negotiating contract details, as you're figuring yes. out timing, as you're trying to wade through legalese that doesn't necessarily make sense. Having an agent to help kind of navigate those waters is really helpful. But like I said, there are definitely multiple ways to go about publishing traditional that don't necessarily always require an agent, but they are very instrumental to the process when they can help you get into the spaces you want to be at. Yeah, totally. And honestly, like, I feel like I'm at this phase in my life where I'm like, there are a few things... (laughs) that I don't want to hire a professional for. Do you know what I mean? Like we just painted our condo in the mountains all by ourselves. And I was like, that was stupid. (laughs) I wish we had paid someone to do that because it took us three days and we literally thought it was going to take one. And it was like, why are we doing this? I mean, I know why we're doing this. It saved us a ton of money. But at the same time, I feel like there are professionals who they're just that, right? Like they are so good at their jobs and that's why they do what they do. And so I feel like it's kind of like, I feel like to me, having an agent is similar to having a realtor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can totally go buy a house by yourself, but maybe you, and especially what you mentioned, the contract details, especially when you go to negotiate, like you might be like, yeah, I'm going to pay $500,000 for this house. And your realtor could have gotten it for 400,000. You know what I mean? Like there's just so much that I don't know that the agent does know. And Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, that percentage is terrible or that's great. Or let's ask for this and maybe we can budge here. And it's like all stuff that I have no idea about. So yeah, having an agent is great. But so does Tyndale specifically accept any proposals without an agent? Yes. Yes, we do. Really? Yes, we do. Like we, we don't, we normally don't receive proposals unless they are coming through. So unsolicited manuscripts, we don't normally receive unsolicited manuscripts or proposals unless they come through agents. However, our team has various strategies for our, on our, for acquisition side and especially 
as the extra one of the extroverts on our team, I like to go to various conferences and different things of that nature. And I'll take appointments and you can definitely meet people and Mm. relationships in that way as well. But when it comes to just sending projects in, they almost always do come through an agent. But there are the 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 few that we accept that don't have uh, representation as well. So it is possible. Yeah. Okay. So we talked with my agent, Keely, who you know, about how to get a, yeah, she's the best, about how to get a literary agent. But I'd be curious from your perspective, like when someone's in that phase of the process, do you have any tips or maybe like you've heard from your authors? Like this is how it went down for me because I do know, I feel like that is probably the biggest speed bump Mm. to publishing traditionally. Yes. So what's your question? Your, my question is, that's a, I, I ended that being like, and what am I asking? <laughs> my question is, what is your, like, I'd be curious to hear your perspective of what are some strategies for how someone who doesn't currently have an agent get a literary agent? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know if I'll be able to answer it in a way that is super helpful to you or your listeners. Sure. Yeah. But I would say, making connections in your, like if you're writing in the evangelical Christian space, if that's where you're planning to publish, make connections with other writers and authors in that space. One, Ah. because it builds community and it is also helpful when you're writing and you feel like your work is trash and you can need somebody else to take a look at it and help you remind you that it's not. But also you can network that way and you can hear about their experience with different agents. You can sometimes people have found their agent through talking and making connections with other authors. There's also various websites, which I can't think of off the top of my head right now. There is a popular author, which if I think of it, Caroline, I'll send you it if you want to link. But he had a list of really strong Christian literary agents, specific just kind of the Christian market. And that's also a way you you can cold call them. You can cold email them. It's kind of like when you find a literary agent too, I think it is a little bit like dating because they all have their different areas of expertise and what fits sure. your personality and your vibe and what your goals are as an author and yeah. writer. So that's what, that's what I would suggest. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you mentioned taking appointments at conferences. I personally, I, I go to a lot of conferences. I've never been to a writer's conference specifically. So can you share with us, like, I feel like that could be a great way to meet oh, agents. Yeah. And I do, I do have some friends who have met agents that way. What are some of your favorite conferences that maybe listeners could go to, to make those connections? Okay. So I don't have a list of like specific ones, especially since COVID, like they have changed all yeah. that kind of thing has really been adjusted. And a lot of them, a lot of the conferences still offer the same programs, but they do it digitally and online and are doing a lot more coursework that you yeah, can that makes sense on your own schedule as, as your time allows. But I would say there's Redbud Writers Group is a great, is a great one. I don't know how often they do conferences, but it's a great community to kind of get involved with, especially to grow your writing. Proverbs 31 does the She Speaks Conference. I think it's Proverbs. Yeah. 31. They do the She Speaks Conference every year. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big conference, but they also do part, some of it you can do online or you can go in person, which they're offering two Mm. different options now, but they do various tracks where you can go down the writing track or the speaking track. If you have a specific area you want to grow in. And a lot of people have found that conference. I mean, it's, it's like, drinking from a fire hose, like so much information and good information. 
but it's also a great spot to network with other writers to really start right. to build yeah. of writers. And then there's all kinds of writer conferences around the country. So I also recommend that people, you go in and Google like different writers conferences, especially in your area. You won't probably have to travel like across the country in order to get to go mm. to a really nice one. But the, yeah, they're all over. I know there's one here um, in North Carolina. That's a, it's a good one. And I think it's in the Asheville area. They do it. I think it's every other year, but I'm not hundred cool. percent sure on that. Yeah. And they, they bring in professionals all kind agents, writers, authors, speakers, various people to really speak to these areas of expertise. So you get kind of a well-rounded idea of what what direction do you kind of want to go in, especially yeah. um, for new writers. That's my biggest suggestion is finding a writing community, whether it's small, I like maybe you go to Hope Writers, you do something like that. But right. doing that helps you with your craft. And also, like I said, it's writers it's a unique job because it's also a lonely job right like only you can yeah write, like only you can do the, your, write your book and so right. those are you writers uniquely understand that experience and so yeah. that community is really beneficial as you move forward yeah super cool i need to do that i don't have a writing community so i'll have to join um i There's love it okay so in the denver area come on Caroline. Uh, cool have, oh, your fingertips okay okay i got a network i got a network okay so once let's say now we're at the phase where you have an agent i want to know from your perspective like this is what you do all day every day what are you looking for in a book proposal and also part two to the question is are there any like Definitely not. <laughs> when you say definitely like, not, like, do you mean like topics or like maybe, well, maybe not topics because I feel like we could probably guess for a Christian publisher what we're not going to be talking about, but any like red flags, like I see that and I run. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. So a good proposal and a good project, the things where our team, and this is, this is unique every acquisitions team has a unique strategy that they're doing. Yeah, and so for sure. Specifically with our team at Tyndale for the nonfiction side, because that's where I primarily work, is we really look at a couple of things. I'm going to just start with the dreaded P right off the bat platform is I, I have, there's no hard and fast numbers for that either, which is not going to yeah. make your audience very happy either. But it's it's knowing you have a place to start when your book launches. Who are the people who's that community that we can we can start? That's like, if you draw yeah. circles like a tree, like a, if you're looking at like a tree log and you have the different circles, when you go through yeah. different circles to figure out which one is your target and having yeah. a platform that first line of defense is awesome. A concept, is this concept tired? Or is it fresh? Like you could talk about, like it could be motherhood, let's say. And that's a very broad mm -hmm. topic. And there's definitely books that have been published into that space. But yeah. if you're offering kind of a fresh perspective or a new approach, mm, yeah. it does not mean that you would be factored out of being able to, to top, talk about that. Um, and then what's my third one? Concept. Um, oh, yes. Um, concept, platform, and... I think it's the, the idea, like, are you, what is the third one? Now I'm like, I'm like feeling that we used to have an acronym for this and now I can't remember what it is. Is um, there a vowel in between them? Um, I think is it is it it's sort of, um, it's probably, it's probably more like you have platform concept and I would say idea, but concept and idea are a little bit, a little bit different, but our team looks at various things like too, are you a podcaster? Are you a speaker? Where, like, are you just on social media? Are you just in the written space? Like who is your competition? I guess that's also the comparable mm. that we look at. What kind of competitive space are you entering into? 
And is it a space that can is open to another voice like mm. that? Or do we do we potentially want to position you in another area? Mm. Our team talks a lot about that. And at Tindo, one of the nice things is we have three different imprints as part of our nonfiction team. And so we have Tindo Momentum, which is our broader Christian living, spiritual growth, nonfiction imprint. And then we have Tindo Refresh, which is our Whoop. science and wellness space, <laughs> which is where your book will be. And then we have yeah. Elevate, which is more of our apologetics. So it's that's kind of nice where we have a broad mm. range of different areas you can publish all under the nonfiction space. And so we For talk sure. collaboratively as a team when we bring projects in on like what what are you working on what are you working on will this will this compete with that can we move it into this mm. season the strategy is is just very different but i love that our team is very collaborative because i don't always know what my other acquisitions people are working on because i'm working yeah. in space and they're working in theirs and yeah. that would say when it comes to proposals red flags if anyone when you submit a proposal especially as a first time author and you comp your book to new york times bestsellers then there's probably a disconnect right there and where you're yeah. going to be able to be competitive in that actual space having comps that feel more realistic to what your book is the audience you're trying to reach your genre is that is a that's a green flag for me is if that feels mm-hmm. so that's an area i always kind of look at specifically if it feels repetitive. Like if you're having a hard time articulating what your takeaway is for your reader, that's another red flag. And so mm. one of the, our team does a lot with positioning and the three things which you and I have worked through, but yeah. doing the problem that your reader is having, the question your reader is asking and the unique solution that your book is offering. If you can answer those pretty easily, then, mm. and, and I don't have to hunt for that necessarily in the proposal, that's amazing. And so that tends yeah. to be a red flag for me if that is really struggling to come through. If we're really having a difficult time saying, wait, what is, what's this unique takeaway that Caroline specifically Mm. wants to answer with this particular book? So those I would say are, and not including sample writing. I would say that that's a red red flag because whether or not it could be, it could be time, it could be time management and all that. Like I get that too. It's hard to write it. But for nonfiction, we definitely need to see what kind of, it's really an evaluation of the writing and potentially yeah. kind of an edit would be required once you turn your manuscript in. Yeah. Wait, I get, that just blows my mind that someone would submit a book proposal without writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they may supply How? an outline. They may supply like a nice pair, like the paragraph sure. outline. But that doesn't really necessarily tell you if they can write, if they don't include kind of sample material. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think of a comparison and I'm thinking about like walking into Nordstrom to buy jeans and then being like, close your eyes. I'm going to describe these jeans to you. Do you want them? I'm like, no, I have no idea. Like, you know what I oh, mean? Yeah. If you it's don't, rare. I would say it's very rare not to try them sample, on, but you, you, it happens. Yes. But it's, it's pretty, yes. it's pretty rare because people really care. Like when they submit proposals and they work with a literary yes. agent, the literary agent knows right. that's part of the. Path. Oh, for sure. Yeah, totally. Okay. So this is a question I got, I think, three separate times. What is a better measure for success? Is it big social media? Is it big email list or none of the above? Like, Or is it just like, we need something? Choose your something. When you say success, what do you mean by that? Like a book success in the marketplace or a person's successful platform? Okay. I'm saying, here, let me rephrase. So when you are looking at someone's platform and you're trying to decide, is this going to be a fit for Tyndale? Are you looking more for a big social media following? Are you looking more for a big email list? Or can it be like either or? How does that work? 
So those are actually two separate questions. Is it a fit for Tyndale is a separate question. Yeah. Like what are we kind of looking and I'm not trying to be difficult, but they are. Yeah. Because when sure. we look at the platform, what our team, yes, having a big social media is great. Having a, a, a large email list is wonderful because the email list shows that people have willingly de- given you their email, like happily want your content in their inboxes yeah. as frequently yeah. as you deliver it. Something that we would love to see more of is engagement rates and analytics yeah. and proposals because it's so hard. <laughs> as you know, on Instagram, like you, your engagement levels can fluctuate based on the the app's algorithm. Right. Right. And for so, sure. so let's say you talk about something, but some, for some reason, your, your visual, whatever that number is only what 2% of your, your actual audience is seeing your content. And so yeah. seeing that percentage of how often people are engaging, I think one of the highest ones we've seen is 13%, which probably doesn't feel like a lot, but if you, oh, you know, it in the Instagram massive. algorithm is, is kind of a, its own, its own complicated thing. Yes. And so seeing kind of engagement analytics is really helpful. So the higher that percentage number is, the more we can see that people are not just liking your posts, they're commenting, they're showing yeah. up to all of your stories, they're actively participating in the content that you're putting out there. So that's definitely something that we would love to see a little bit more of. And we almost always ask for that when we see proposals being like, hey, would you be open to sharing some of the analytical data, right? Your Facebook or Instagram or whichever, so your blog, your blog, like what are your numbers? But I would say, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the newsletter, that is gold in the emails and knowing mm-hmm. what your percentage of open rate is too, when it comes yeah. to emails as well. So those are really good ones. I would say just because like you could have 200,000 followers on Instagram and only what 10% are actually seeing your content and being able to engage with it. So how do you, how do you navigate that space too? Yeah, for sure. So do, do you feel like people need to have kind of all the things like they need to have an Instagram, like choose kind of a social media that you're really active on and to have an email list. Or have you ever had times where you're like, maybe this person straight up doesn't do social media. I I have friends in the business world who literally don't do social media, but they've got 30,000 email subscribers. Yeah. Like, can you have an either or situation? Um, yes, you definitely can. It's just in this climate, I would say with like books are a very big visual, it's a visual medium and people Mm. really like to be able to share and talk about it. And so not having, I mean, I, I don't think it's impossible to not have Instagram or Facebook or TikTok and only have an email list. I haven't worked with anyone that's only just had an email list. They've had one, like a podcast or something. Right. I wouldn't say it's impossible. Absolutely. Especially if your engagement through your email list is is fire like that. Right. Like, okay, let's, and is, is your topic on point? Is this something our marketing team thinks that we have a really strong capacity to market? You know, those, all those, there's a lot of variables that go into play on that too. Yeah, totally. Well, that's good to know. Okay. So someone asked this, which I thought was a very great question, getting like a peek behind the curtain, getting some insight, which genre of books is selling the best right now? And how do you determine which topics are relevant to publish and which are not? So in the Christian, in the Christian space. Yeah, well, it would have to be, I guess, since you're, since you're with Indale. I would say the Bible. <laughs> um, Killing it, the Bible. It's just doing an amazing job. It's the, it's the bestseller. Okay, but, wait, yeah. but let me pause for a second. I, you guys sent me a filament Bible as part of my welcome packet. And I'm freaking obsessed with that thing. Just a little plug. 
No, I I'll tell love people it. They love that. They love hearing users' experiences with the filament Bible. Because yeah. okay, so I'm gonna just give a little plug. So you open your Bible and you have an app on your phone as well, and you can scan the page, and then it will come up and you can see, like you have videos, you can learn. There's like commentary and then like you can, all these different things that you can do and you can do studies that from all different authors all over the place and using the app and your corresponding filament Bible. It's really cool. I love how they combined online and in person. So I'm not surprised the Bible's selling well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to tell that to our team because they love hearing that. They love hearing that yeah. feedback so much. Good. Yeah. So I would say in the Christian space, I haven't looked at the most recent reports that have come out, yeah. what category is doing the best. But I think, you know, you have the overarching Christian living, but there's so many subcategories in there. And I would say what we're seeing kind of a big resurgence and maybe resurgence is the right, isn't the right word, but kind of this desire to step into this inspirational is not the right word, but when you think of counseling, wellness, wholeness, inviting yourself to be able to think through mental health and what does that actually look like and books by counselors, like these are books that are starting to get lots more attention. I think Mm. people are much more willing, especially the church, you know, I say that the big C church, but people are becoming more interested in like, I actually want to be whole. I want to be healthy. I want to Mm. understand why I feel this way. And is it okay to feel this way? And what does the Bible actually communicate about these topics too? And so that I would say is becoming, is this, is, is becoming a really nice growing category. Sounds great for me. Always the best. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's great for me. Yeah. Awesome. What was the last thing you said? And spiritual growth, I would say is just a, is a nice, is is a nice category in general for the Christian living, Christian books in general. That's That's always really, really well done. Yeah, cool. Okay, so now let's pretend that now we're in the process where I got a book deal with Tyndale. Walk us through the timeline of publishing a book traditionally because this is one of the things, like if someone comes to me and they say they want to write a book and they're trying to figure out like, can I go traditional? Should I do hybrid? Should I self-publish? Honestly, I think timing is one of the biggest things. Mm. Yep. Because like you want to start a speaking track and you've got a gig six months from now, that will not be a fit for a traditional publishing route. So so walk us through the timeline and kind of the steps that it takes to write a book. Absolutely. I would say I'll just go with like what is, and I'm not speaking for all the industry in general, yeah. but kind of like what yeah. Tyndale has been doing that we found success in, especially with, you know, with the recent pandemic, things have adjusted and how long it takes to actually print and distribute a book, how long authors potentially need to write a book. And so what we use on our team is it's basically a 12 to 14 month schedule. It would be lovely if we could do 14 to 16, but it's really hard, especially for writers to be like, wait, you're telling me that I'm going to turn this thing in in January, but we're not going to actually put this book out until the following fall. Like that just feels like a really long, you know, like that just feels it's like a, a long, long time. time, which is why I say it's more of a marathon instead of a sprint. But tech, sure. what we tend to, so the way the schedule kind of works is that your book is a 12 month schedule from when you turn in that first manuscript, when you turn in your first rough draft of a manuscript. So mm-hmm. when you turn that in, which, or if it's 14 months, so like, let's say you have a spring 25 book that's releasing hypothetically, 
Um, most likely the publisher would want you to turn that in like this fall, like it would be due this fall. So there's plenty of time because ideally you would love, we would love you to have somewhere between three to five months with editorial. And that includes just everything from the the developmental edits to the line edits, to copy editing, proofreading, all that goes into, into that before your galleys are made and everything, the book almost becomes like a real book. And during that 12 to 14 months, you're writing your acquisitions person is creating strategy alongside your marketing, PR, sales team, design, working through what your cover is going to look like, your interior, all of those things. And then you write, you turn in your manuscript, you do the editing, and then you start having the conversations about the cover. Your acquisition person pitches it to your sales team. They get ready and they start selling it way ahead of before your book releases. Like it's, th- I think it's three seasons. It's almost a year. You know, they have to start pitching. So different retailers can figure out their orders. And then you start these great marketing conversations about three to four to five months out from your book launch, depending on what's happening specifically around your release. And then your book releases out into the world 12 to 14 months after it has arrived and at the, at the publishing house in an email, you know? So that's, I would yeah. say the quickest way I could describe the schedule. And there's yes. a lot of other things that go on in For sure. there, but yeah, that's, it's ideal because right now you want to, and I, that allows for a nice printing schedule to make sure your book right. the time it needs to be printed and arriving on time yeah. so and ship out to retailers should be ready for that on sale date. Yes. Oh my gosh. So fun. I just got really excited about my book. <laughs> okay. So if you, okay. So then let's say now, okay, wait. So I want to say that the crazy thing from the author perspective is like, you did talk about the 12 to 14 month period. The crazy thing is you sign a contract with a publisher. It's, it's basically almost two years yep. until your book comes out. Yep. So two years, which is a really long time. Like long two years time. is a long time. And so, you know, when when we think about what path someone wants to take in getting a book into the world, I definitely think that's a huge, huge consideration because two years is just a long time and yeah. maybe you want it sooner. And the fastest route is definitely self-publishing. And I mean, honestly, you can crank a book out and just like hit publish if you want. So the the traditional publishing route is definitely the longest. But when we're when we're talking about that, what would be kind of your argument to someone who's an who's a prospective author for like why do you feel like publishing traditionally is either like the way to go or could be an you know could be an important decision in their career or what makes it a good choice for people? Yeah, that's a really good question and you're right with the timeline like if you want to book out quicker like if you don't want to spend the two years, it really can be negotiated between how long you as the writer want to write. Like how, like usually it's somewhere between six to nine months from when you, like when you're hammering out the contract, but you may be like, we've had authors write a book in three months. Like it it really also is dependent on what your availability is for that writing process. And I'll tell you, it doesn't, when when your book launches, that's not the end of the conversation. So it's almost about two and a half because we, we really want you to be talking about your book forever, obviously, but at least for a good six to eight, 10 months down after, after the book comes out to keep it in the public. Yeah. So it is, it's a longer process, but I promise it's incredibly rewarding, especially when you're holding yeah. a book in your hand and you're like, holy cow, I did this. Like, this is amazing. Right. And it just, it's a big, it's a big thing that you've accomplished, especially your first one. I don't know if you ever really forget the impact that the yeah. book, um, has for you. Totally. But a reason to publish traditionally, I would say, I think Self-publishing has its place, especially for certain projects, absolutely. But I'd say with traditional publishing, 
what you what you get is the retail access. So with self-publishing, mm. a lot of the time you don't have the multiple distribution channels that you yeah. get in a, with a traditional publishing house. You may not also get the kind of marketing and PR. You're a one-man show, right? When you do self, yeah. self-publishing. And so a lot of that is kind of off given, like kind of released a little bit. It's a hundred percent a partnership. You know, like it's not about a publisher yeah. coming in and or at least on it from the Tyndale perspective, it's not about us coming yeah. in and saying, Hey, do it our way. You know, Caroline, get in line. It's like, Hey, we love what you're doing. How can we bring our expertise alongside you to elevate it even more? And yeah. so like, we can help with that marketing with the design, yeah. with the editorial, with the PR, with sales, and definitely with that distribution aspect into the various retail channels that a lot of the times with self-publishing, you may not be able to get. Oh yeah, in that yeah in that for way, sure. So. Yeah, totally. I know it's it's kind of like we were talking about with a literary agent. I feel like for sure, traditional publishing, you have you don't just have a team. You have like multiple teams. <laughs> like yeah. you have your editorial team, and you're, you know, so you have so many people working in your favor. And also, just like we asked you, like, what's selling well right now? I feel like I think I have the pulse on humanity, but no, I totally don't. I have the pulse on like a very obscure (laughs) sliver of humanity that's like really concerned about health and wellness. And so I feel like you guys will be able to read my book and be like, don't say that. The public's not ready for that. Like, you know, so you guys have that insight that... And, you know, we'll have like dozens of set of eyes on this before it goes into the world. So there's definitely a huge benefit to that. Yes. And also, like we're saying, the bar is higher and the like acceptance rate is higher. Like when, you know, I have a podcast, clearly we're listening to this podcast and I've heard people be like, get a mic and you have a podcast, you know, or like get a computer and now you can have a book on Amazon. So definitely the admission is higher when it comes to traditional publishing, but also I think the rewards can be greater, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I love, I love what you said, Caroline, too, with the traditional publishing route is you have a team. So it's not, it's not you in your garage kind of figuring out how to like navigate all this. I mean, I, I say a garage, I don't know, in your own little office space, but it's not just you trying to figure out all of those other details. Cause you still have to manage those details, depending on what your goals are with your self-published book. But with traditional publishing, you have a really good team environment where you're not expected to be the expert in some of these spaces that you don't know. You have a group yeah. of people that are coming as the experts. And I should have told told you when you asked what is a category two that's doing well it totally slipped my mind because I don't have a book in this category yet which I'm hoping to books with animals I'm telling you right now the animal books are (laughs) just doing amazing we have proverbs for dog lovers proverbs for cat lovers we have um, okay I actually saw that on the Tyndale site today and was like what is happening they're doing amazing they're beautiful and fun proverbs their animal books are just they're yes, they're a category that is. And are they well. for children? No, they're for adults. Nope, they're definitely. I mean, we have a couple. Like we have a couple that are. We have had ancillaries come off, and we do them for the kids too. But no, no, it's like gift books for people that love animals because people love animals, you know. And people so love animals. We have horses and donkeys, and we've got cats and dogs, and you know. So books that's been a fun animals. category to see kind of take off a little bit too. Okay, Kara. So let's just strategize after this. We're going to figure out an animal book for me. <laughs> I'm in. Wow. I'm in. Who, who knows? That's hilarious. And I love it. And now I'm going to, here's the deal. We, we, I'm going to have to get proverbs for my kids because any way to make reading the Bible fun for my kids, it's like, I'm here for it. Oh, yes. 
Absolutely. Okay. And the author of those books, she is just one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. And so incredible. Love it. And it's, it's, it's fun. Kids, kids do enjoy them. Okay. That's so fun. Okay. So the book is coming out. This is the phase we're in now. The book is coming out. And a really great question that I got that I was actually like, I need the answer to this for myself is if you don't have all these like big name people to endorse your book, you don't have these relationships. How do you make these relationships or how do you get these endorsements? And the actual question was, do I just slide into their DMs? Oh my gosh, Caroline. So are you just using this podcast as a way to ask me questions about the future aspects of, uh-huh. your, of your Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No. no Actually, this really was, this really was <laughs> no a problem. question from a listener I'm here from Bailey. I'm totally here for it. <laughs> you don't have to have massive names to get endorsements. Like what we tell authors periodically is, you know, endorsements are wonderful. Forwards are wonderful. We have conflicting data on whether if you have 20 endorsements, if that's really moving in the book, or if you have four really strong. So I always tell authors, and you'll see this in an email I will send you at some point, is Perfect. you know somewhere between three to five are great ha- having them. And it's it's a visual indicator to readers that there's other people that have like kind of read your book and are saying, yes, this is something that you should spend money, spend time mm. engaging in this content. And they may not even know the names on, on the back of your book, but sometimes just that visual seeing those names is like, Oh yeah, I need to stop and, and look. So yeah. I always say three to five. And I, and I say, make sure they're, they're category specific. So, you know, like your book is in that, that health and wholeness wellness space. It probably doesn't make sense to have a pastor that's writing about, you know, conflicting issues in the church, you know, like I, it may not necessarily yeah. be the same. It, it's not necessarily on brand, but having, having some voices that are speaking specifically into that genre that you can point to that are saying, right. nope, listen to what Caroline is saying. That's great. So you, they don't have to be super massive names. I mean, recognizable names are great because then people immediately have that quick understanding, but you don't need to go overboard with endorsements at all. Like I, sometimes if you have too many, it may feel people will get lost in them. And they'll be like, yeah, I don't even understand the point of this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, so maybe rather than trying to just like find some stranger you don't even know and be like, you're a huge name in wellness. Can I, would you endorse my book? Maybe the, the takeaway is use the connections that you have, because I'm sure we all have connections. And if not, let's go back to the, like, go to the conferences and make connections. So Caroline, so like, I would say, sorry to interrupt you, but I would say if you are thinking of writing a book and you have a couple of people in mind that you would love to potentially be endorsers, I, maybe this is just the extrovert of me, but I highly recommend slide into the DMs and start the connection, create the relationship. I mean, don't do it. Don't do it in that creepy gross way where it's like, I'm just going to befriend this person. So eventually when I have a book, they can endorse it. But if you really think this could be someone you could learn from that you would find that would find value in what you're doing as a great connection, build a relationship. I ideally say build a relationship because it never works to just reach out to somebody cold and say, Hey, you're in the same space. I am. Would you endorse my book? They're never, they're not going to do it, or at least a legit person is not going to want to do that because they, no one wants to put their name on a book with a person they don't know and they haven't yeah. met. They don't they? They don't have full background on. So that's what I would, yeah. I would say, is especially like you, like build relationships in that in that in that category that you're in, if only just to learn and grow yourself and to be challenged as a writer. And then if it if it leads to an endorsement or a forward or other kind of or speaking opportunities or things of that right. nature, awesome, absolutely. But I would, I should say, do that with integrity is essentially what I'm uh, For sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. As all the DMs that I like delete every day. Nope, nope, nope. 
Totally. No, I think that's really, really solid advice that I will be needing here soon. Okay. So I feel like that's a lot of the process. Is there anything else that you feel like is critical to know about the traditional publishing process? I would that we left out. I don't know if there's anything critical. I would say don't give up though. I mean, traditional Mm -hmm. publishing, right? There's it's only so many books can be published at a time. You know, we used to look on Amazon and there's hundreds of thousands of of books on there. And even if you don't end up with the traditional publishing deal, if you do feel led to write a book, if you feel passionate about it, there are lots of different ways to get that content out into the world. And so don't feel, try not to feel defeated in like, I'm not a traditionally published author. I'm not an author. That's that's a, that's a lie. That's not, that's, yeah. not, that's not true. And publishing, yeah. it's a, it's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard business. It's a, incredibly rewarding, you know, when you get yeah. the opportunity to see your book or read a, I mean, everyone, all of us know a book that has touched our lives that we're just like, we can't stop recommending because we read it and it just yeah. had that power. And so, you know what, if that's your book, if that's your idea, the Lord will make it, the Lord will make a way for that to happen, yeah. but try not to get totally. discouraged and Again, building that community will really help with that too. Yeah, love it so much. Okay, let me ask you the last question that I ask everybody on the podcast. So at the end of your life, when you're looking back, what will a successful life look like to you, Kara? So that is a great question. And I had like all, I was like trying to think through like how I wanted to answer this because yes. I feel like like my dad or my mom or, or like, you know, older people would in my life would say, are you happy? You know, you get that a lot. And I'm always like, what does that even mean? Like, what does that even like mean to be happy? But as I was thinking through this, I would say at the end of my life, a successful life is that I said yes, more than no. I mean, Mm. those went appropriate, but I'm, I'm the kind of person that like, I tend to just guesses. I get really excited and I want to try everything but I'll say, no, if I'm tired or if like, right. oh, I, I feel like I just don't want it. Like, I just want to say the appropriate yeses when I can. And then knows that make the most sense. I also hope that I don't let fear dictate the decisions that mm. I make. One of the things that I've tried really hard over the past, I would say 10 to 15 years is I feel like the Lord likes to push this with me a little bit, like just seeing, and I, I went, I really wanted to go on a mission trip a bunch of years ago. And I was like, Lord, can you send me anywhere but China? Cause I was afraid at that time. I was just like, I'm really nervous. Yeah. And the only trip on this ministry's website that was available in the time frame I had free was to China. So I went to China. And so I was just like, okay, but I'm glad that I, I mean, I learned so much and it was yes. such a beautiful experience. And so I, I, I I really try hard to not like, I mean, we all experience fear like regularly. It's a, it's kind of a, especially in the Christian walk, you know, like we know we can feel that fear in a really different way sometimes. And I just don't want fear to dictate how I, how I choose to live the decisions that I make and how I engage with people. And I really would love Caroline at the end of my life. And maybe this is a really selfish thing to want because I don't, you know, I don't have any children of my own, but to be able to just enrich the lives of others that my presence in people's lives has yeah. not necessarily made it better because let's be real. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm an imperfect person, but that it did something to make them feel seen or valuable mm. or worthy, especially with kids, especially yeah. in the lives of kids. Cause I hear all the time from my friends that have kids that they're like having another adult. That's not their parents speak kindly, yes. call out yes. beautiful things about their kids kids just yes. that just gets locked away somewhere in their little hearts and minds and it they, does they keep it so that's well they just don't they don't believe us Kara right. like they, I've I mean, literally 
I've literally told my children things before and they're like, yeah, but you're my mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, Ella, you're beautiful. She's like, yeah, but you're my mom. Yeah. You know, like totally. you've got to say that. So no, that is so true. And I love that about you. Thank you, Kara, for joining us today and sharing all of your amazing wisdom with us. Oh, Caroline, thank you so much for asking me. I hope this was helpful and I will talk to you anytime. So please. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. It is always such a pleasure to chat with you. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to our publishing series this month. I hope you have learned so much about writing a book, how to write a book proposal, how to get a literary agent, and then I hope you've also learned a lot about different aspects of publishing and whether or not to go the self-publishing route or the traditional publishing route. I feel like publishing can be a really confusing place and it's a world that you pretty much don't know a lot about unless you have someone like me who can really open up that curtain for you and show you behind the scenes. So that has been my heart to get you more information that you're looking for so that you too can and publish a book. So I hope that you enjoyed the series. If you haven't heard all of them, they were all released this month, October of 2023. So go back and check them out. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you next week. 